Today we're going to delve into a complex issue of halacha which relates to the status of a mitzvah performed by a child under Barabbas mitzvah and the effects that that mitzvah could have on an adult's mitzvah or on an adult more generally. The Rebbe will base this on a teaching of the Rambam which comes out of this week's parasha. It relates to a shivcha harufa, that's a woman who is part maidservant and part freed, and somebody has an illicit relationship with her, what happens if the person involved in that illicit relationship is a minor? Let's see what the Rambam says. The Rambam paskins in the context of this story that if there's a boy who is nine years old in one day, in other words, he's past his ninth birthday, and then has illicit relations with this half-free, half-slave woman, he, loika, she receives lashes for that engagement, for whom may be carbon and he brings a carbon to atone, or possibly as a punishment, as we shall see. The Rambam defines, however, in order for this to happen, she has to be over the age of majority, over the age of bat mitzvah, and previously already been in a relationship, and she has to be willing to participate. Things, information that the Rambam had already explained earlier on. But the principle of a shivcha harufa is that the man involved in this relationship would never have to bring the korban until she is in a state that she would have to get those lashes. And that's based on the Pasuk, that if you do the investigation and you find her to be guilty, then he brings his korban. That's what the Rambam says. Now the Ravid who very often takes issue with things that the Rambam says, also here raises an issue with the Rambam and says, this is complete confusion. We have no precedent that a child under the age of Bar Mitzvah is ever liable for their behavior and can be punished for their behavior. And this carbon is actually a consequence, almost a punishment that the person has to bring. So therefore, why would he have to bring the carbon? Furthermore, the Ravid says, Actually, if he is exempt from bringing the carbon because he's underage, she'd be exempt from lashes. Because the Pasuk relates the two, the man and the woman in the story. And he refers to the Gemara in Christus, which actually goes into a lot of detail and basically teaches us that if there's a scenario where the woman, the Shivcha Harufa, is exempt from punishment, the man would be too. And the Ravid is saying the same applies in reverse. So now we have to explain what is the Rambam Tanas, because it is actually strange to imagine that a child under Bar Mitzvah would be liable for a Torah punishment. So we're going to look at two commentaries who try to explain this. Classic commentators on the Rambam. There are a number of different suggestions put forward. Firstly, we'll look at Aleph B'Magid Mishnah Kosav. The Magid Mishnah classical commentary on the Rambam explains it as follows. He says the Rambam's view of how Shifcha Harufa works is, Hakol Tolebi'isha. Everything depends on the status of the woman in this relationship to determine whether or not there's punishment. So, if she is somebody who's liable for punishment, then he has to bring the carbon. He, his status, he does not have to be somebody who's liable for punishment in order for the Shifcha Harufa law to apply. And he also refers then back to the Gemorian Christus, which says, that when the woman is the one who's going to be given lashes, then the man is the one who has to bring a carbon. 
And when it's she does not get lashes, he does not bring a carbon. And the Magid Mishnah says clearly, look at the language, it's contingent on her status. And the Gemara did not say, that if he is not liable, in this case because he's underage, and he doesn't have to bring the carbon, then he then she would not be given lashes. So the Magi Mishnah says, that's what the Rambam wants us to know. It, it all depends on her status. She is an adult. She is liable for punishment. Therefore, he, the, the minor child, is bring a korban. Furthermore, says the Magi Mishnah, that's exactly how the Gemara understands the Pasuk about this, where it says, tia, we investigate her. Tia is a feminine word, the Gemara says. And then, if she's found to be guilty, he brings his carbon. Which implies, if we can't investigate and prove that she is guilty, then he would not have to bring a carbon. But there's nothing in the Pasuk that indicates if he cannot be punished, she would be scot-free as well. Therefore, the Magid Mishnah says, seeing as the Rambam's view is, everything depends on her status, and she is an adult who was willingly involved in this relationship, and therefore is going to be flogged, therefore he, the child, also has to bring a carbon because the status is determined by her. That's the Magid Mishnah's suggestion, and we have an issue with it. We really need to understand what he's saying. We all get it, and it makes sense, and the Torah tells us, and the Gemara interprets it, that the status of the two players in this illicit relationship will be determined by her. If she's adult and she's willing, then there's liability. But that still doesn't explain logically why a child would suddenly be liable for behavior. Similar to what the rabbit says elsewhere. If you're going to say in a different scenario of illicit relationships that the man is dependent on the woman and the woman is not dependent on the man, it still wouldn't make any sense to suggest that we're going to obligate a minor to carry the responsibility of an adult. Why? Yes, we get it. In a normal circumstance of two adults, we'd say the woman's status will affect the man's liability. But just because a woman is guilty doesn't turn the child into an adult. How is that an explanation of why the, adult, uh, why the child of he has to bring a crime? Gam, Matakos of Horadvaz. In fact, there's another similar kind of explanation given by the Radvaz. Where he disagrees with the Magid Mishnah about the purpose of this korban. And he says, the korban is not here to punish the child, but rather to allow him the opportunity for atonement. So therefore, yes, we don't punish children. But the child still needs to atone because this was a pretty perverse behavior. So that's the Radvaz's explanation. The Kharena Maspik is also not really a clear explanation. <laughs> Why would this be the one mitzvah out of 613 where a child needs to atone by bringing a korban? We don't find that anywhere else. We don't find any precedent in any other circumstance where a child doesn't have a for which a person would normally bring a korban. We don't find that the child has to bring a korban. So why here? Okay, so the Rambam's view is if the child is over nine years old, then she gets lashes, he brings a korban. The question is why, the Ravid asks, he's a child. The Magimishna wants to say it's because everything depends on the woman, that's going to determine his status. Our question remains, but he's still a child. When do we ever punish children? And even according to the Radvaz, who says it's to atone, where do we find that a child needs a korban to atone? 
Let's look at a different perspective. Belechem Mishnah Kosev, the Mishnah, another classical commentary on the Rambam, says different things. That <coughs> he says the Rambam is basing his opinion on a medrash in the Torah Skana, which says a man who will sleep with this woman is prat le cotton. So it says man which excludes a child. So the Medrash says, you might think that a child who is already over nine years old is not responsible for illicit relationships. Therefore, Talmud Lomer, ve-ish. Therefore, the Torah added not just ish, which could have started the Pasuk, a man who will sleep with a woman. But it says, and, and a man which comes to include somebody who is pre-manhood, a so-called pre-teen. Now, the difference between the Rambam, says the Kesem Mishnah, and the Raivet is that the Raivet goes with the literal understanding of the Gemara, as opposed to the Medrash. The Makshelah Hadodi, that we make the one contingent on the other, the man on the woman. Which means that the man and the woman have the same status, which is not what the Torah's Kahanim is saying. And the Raivet would want to say, look, if one of the two protagonists is underage and therefore not liable for punishment, the entire punishment is thrown out and even the adult member is not chayef. The Torah Skalim says, well, he's not adult, but he is liable because the Torah said ve'ish. Let's say we go with the Kesef Mishnah, but still have to answer a very basic question. Let's go with the thinking of the Torah Skalim that a nine-year-old child is actually liable for illicit relations. So why is that Why is that something that the Torah only says in this particular illicit relationship between a boy, possibly, and a shivcha charufa? What about all the other illicit relationships? Because if your argument is that a nine-year-old child may have the physical maturity that he can actually be intimate with a woman, and that's why he is liable, well, then that should apply across the board to any illicit relationship. And we should say that children are liable for, God forbid, incest or whatever it might be. Now, you might say, well, you're right. There is no logical explanation. It's one of those chukim. It's something that is a decree from on high and you just have to accept it rationally or not. Where do you find a reason to suddenly decide that this is a, <clears throat> a super rational law? It would make much more sense to say that there has to be logic behind this particular distinction between the Shifcha Harufa relationship and all other illicit relationships. Okay, so in order for us to understand what's going on over here and why the Rambam is willing to tell us that this child has to bring a korban, let's understand children and their obligations, and we'll talk specifically also about children and certain korbanos. So, of korban, the responsibility to bring a korban, or broadly, the responsibility to fulfill a mitzvah in the context of a child is something the Rambam discusses in various places and we're going to look at a few of them. Let's start with this. Okay, so korban, it's obviously the most, uh, the most appropriate, the easiest to link. So let's start with the story of a korban and that's the korban Pesach. So what's the scenario of a child with regards to a korban Pesach and specifically we're going to see a child who becomes an adult who has his bar mitzvah between Pesach and Pesach Sheni. So here's what the Rambam says. Gershon is Geyer ben Pesach Rishon le Pesach Sheni. If a person converts to Judaism 
between Pesach Rishon and Pesach Sheni, or a child who reaches Bar Mitzvah between Pesach and Pesach Sheni, they are required now to bring the Korban Pesach on Pesach Sheni because they didn't have the opportunity the first Pesach, and the rule is somebody who misses the first Pesach brings the Korban on the second Pesach. But the Rambam says, If the family, when they shechted the Korban Pesach, on the original Pesach, had this child in mind as part of the group, well then the child is exempt from bringing a Korban Pesach on Pesach Sheni. To which the Kesav Mishnah asks, It doesn't make sense. The child at the time of Pesach was not obligated to have a Korban Pesach. And therefore, having the Korban Pesach on the first night of Pesach could not, because he hasn't fulfilled an obligatory mitzvah, exempt him from having to bring the Pesach Sheni later. It doesn't seem to make sense. And the Kesem Mishnah answers, the cause of Hari Kurkazal, the Rabbi Yosef Kurkus, who was one of the original commentators on the Rambam, says, the fact that the Torah allowed the possibility for us to include a child in what's called the Chabura, in what's called the team, the group that eats the Korban Pesach, therefore, the Torah allowed us, not only to shecht for him, you can include him in the numbers of the people who have to eat from the Korban Pesach. Therefore, if he was included in the Korban Pesach in an alachically compliant way, because he was on the list of the group who participated in the Korban Pesach, that exempts him from the Pesach Sheni. Now, when you think about this logically, it still doesn't seem to make sense. The fact is, he was not yet an adult at the time of the Pesach which means he wasn't required to do any mitzvah, including eating the Korban Pesach. So how does it help that there was an adult who is obligated to eat from the Korban Pesach, and in order to eat from the Korban Pesach had to establish a group, and decided to include the child in the group, at a time when the child is not obligated to eat from the Korban Pesach, and that's going to be enough that when this child now becomes an adult and by rights should have to bring the Pesach Sheni, we're going to say, well, now you have an obligation to bring the Korban Pesach, but we'll exempt you from that obligation because you ate from the Korban Pesach before you had an obligation. It sounds completely in, uh, irrational. Okay, that's one example. We'll look at another example, which is, in a sense, an even stronger example of what the Rambam is teaching us. Look what the Rambam says in the laws of learning Torah. Let's say there's a person who was not given a Torah education by his father, which is an obligation for the father. is required to educate himself. When he realizes what's going on. That you have, to, you have a responsibility to make sure that you can learn Torah. Commenting on that, the Tzemach Tzedek says, Once again, are we indicating that the child actually carried a personal biblical obligation to learn Torah while he was still a child? Listen to the new ones. The fact that the Rambam used such an unusual expression when the child recognizes that he's uneducated. And he didn't say when he reaches maturity. That implies that his responsibility to learn Torah is not a matter of becoming an adult. It's a matter of awareness which could even happen before he's an adult. 
So the kan kosher b'yesa says that makes an even stronger question on the Rambam's philosophy. How is it possible that you could believe that a child carries an obligation, a Torah obligation to fulfill a particular mitzvah, in this case, the mitzvah to learn Torah? What we're seeing over here is that the Rambam clearly must have an attitude to the responsibilities that a child has that are not as straightforward as we would have imagined. So let's delve and understand what the Rambam's attitude is. To get there, we're going to discover a tremendous innovative perspective on the responsibilities that a child has to do mitzvahs. The two schools of thought about what the status is of those mitzvahs that children have to do as part of their education. So, in the one school, you have Das Rashi Vahramban. That the mitzvah to educate a child is a rabbinic mitzvah. And obviously that is not a mitzvah on the child, it is a mitzvah on the father. Because the child has no responsibility to mitzvahs as long as the child is a child. For that there's a practical application for this. Therefore a child cannot, for example, bench on behalf of an adult and include them. An adult can say a brocha allowed to include another adult. A child cannot. We're using benching because that's a doraisa brocha and various other similar examples. In fact, the child's obligation to do mitzvahs is so not an obligation that they cannot even do a mitzvah on behalf of a rabbinic requirement for an adult. That's Rashi and the Ramban. A child has no obligation at all to perform a mitzvah. The entire chinuch is on the parent. Whereas, the Das Atesis for Haran, the other school of thought, represented by the Tesis in the Ran, that as soon as a child is old enough to be educated, there's already a rabbinic expectation that they'll do mitzvahs. And therefore there is the possibility of a child doing a mitzvah on behalf of an adult and being moitzi, including that adult in their obligation, at least if it's a rabbinic responsibility on the adult. What does the Rambam hold? Two schools of thought. Rashi and the Ramban, that a child has no obligation. Toysvus and the Ran, that a child from the age of Chinuch already has some level of obligation to fulfill mitzvahs and can even include others in that obligation. What does the Rambam say? We do know that the Rambam does rule that a child can bench on the father's behalf. And I would say it aloud and the father will say Amen and he'll fulfill the mitzvah. That implies that the Rambam does believe that there's some responsibility on the child to educate themselves. It is not something which is purely on the shoulders of the father. The son has some, even as a junior, responsibility to educate himself and therefore to fulfill mitzvahs. We can actually <coughs> ratify this from other places where the Rambam talks very interesting perspectives about the obligations of a child. And you'll see that this is obviously a consistent perspective that the Rambam has, that a child from the age of Chinuch is already partially responsible for mitzvahs. Let's look. Behilchas tzitzis and the laws of tzitzis. He says, "Umedivre soifim shakol katan sheadeli satev chayiv tzitzis kedei lechanchay b'mitzvus." The minute a child is old enough to be educated, that child has to wear tzitzis as part of his education to get used to fulfilling the mitzvah. Behilchas brachas and the laws of blessings. Haktanim haktanim chayov and berikas amos umedivre soifim kedei lechanchay b'mitzvus. A child has a, <coughs> a rabbinic obligation to bench after a meal so that he gets used to doing that mitzvah.
same thing. As soon as a child is self-sufficient, that doesn't rely on his mother for every need, he is obligated to sit and eat his meals in a sukkah so that he learns about sukkah. And lastly, the same is with the A child who understands the concept of shaking the lulav is rabbinically obligated to do so. So what's clear from the Rambam is that a child has some level of obligation to fulfill a mitzvah and it is part of his responsibility to self-educate. It's not only his father's responsibility to educate him. That's why the, the, the rabbinic requirement is there for him to do these mitzvahs. And there too, there's a question that we should ask. How can we expect that there's any obligation on a child, even a rabbinic obligation, when he's not yet at the stage of intellectual maturity? Like the Baruch Psachim says, do we have obligations for children? So now we've got to understand the Rambam's overall attitude to the fact that a child is responsible to, for his education and therefore partially responsible to do mitzvahs and rabbinically responsible to do mitzvahs. So let's understand that actually what we're looking at over here is a particular attitude and philosophy that the Rambam has that applies to multiple areas of Jewish law. Or him to get to what that principle that the Rambam holds is, let's first look at it like this. We've already, the Rebbe has discussed numerous times. That very often when the Torah gives us a particular requirement to fulfill. And the only way to fulfill that requirement is you first have to do something. Right? If there's no other way to fulfill the mitzvah except by taking this particular action, then to a certain extent the Torah will consider that action part and parcel of the mitzvah. Because this is a requirement without which the mitzvah can't happen, you may as well expand it out to say that when the Torah said do mitzvah X, it also meant do these steps without which you can't do mitzvah X. Here's a great example. By and large, we can say that that is the concept of anything that is a tool or an implement to fulfill a mitzvah. The very famous Rabbi Eliezer Damila in Gemara Shabbos, that Rabbi Eliezer holds that if you have a mitzvah that can override Shabbos, then the Machshire mitzvah overrides Shabbos as well. Okay, it's not the majority opinion, it's not necessarily how we paskin, but Rabbi Eliezer's view is that in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Mila, you're allowed to break Shabbos. So therefore, in order to get the implements that you need to the place that you need, in order to do the bris, you can override Shabbos as well. The principle being, once the Torah has mandated a mitzvah, and that mitzvah requires certain steps, those steps get included in some value of the mitzvah. There's an even more extreme example of this. Yeserim Yerushalmi, the Talmud Yerushalmi tells us that there are certain mitzvahs that when you prepare for them, like, for example, the sukkah, lulav, etc. There's a Talmud Yerushalmi says you say a bracha over the preparation for the mitzvah. There's a bracha to make the sukkah. Or to make the lulav, etc. 
So we say this principle, which is a very interesting principle, that some degree of mitzvah encompasses those critical steps without which the mitzvah cannot be done. It's not only something that's relevant to an action. Without this action, the mitzvah can't happen. Therefore, this action has some mitzvah value to it. Could actually apply to people and how one person affects another person in their Torah mitzvahs. And that's the core of what we're going to be talking about. So we can all understand and appreciate that getting the tools of the mohel to the bris is critical to doing the bris. Building the sukkah is critical to sitting in a sukkah on sukkahs. Here's where it gets fascinating. One person's behavior could have a direct impact on another person's behavior. Or not only the behavior, but it could be that the person is a critical element for the other person to be able to fulfill their mitzvah. So let's use a few examples. Let's say there's a person who is unable to learn Torah for whatever reason. So the locha provides that he could support other people who are learning Torah. And it's now considered that they're linked and he's learning Torah. He's not learning Torah, but he gets the credit as if he's learning Torah. Again, in the same way as the building of the sukkah gets dragged into the mitzvah of the sukkah, you can even say a bracha over it, the person facilitating other people learning gets schlepped into their learning and gets the value of their learning. Here's another example, even a stronger example. So here's a fascinating example. When it comes to women, there's a similar concept of two people connecting together where the one person's mitzvah is actually completely contingent on the other. Of a dugma mitzvah in a similar way to the fact that you need certain materials in order to be able to do a particular mitzvah. Like the Ran says, even though a woman is not obligated by the Torah to be fruitful and multiply. But it's still a mitzvah for her. Why? Because if not for the woman, the husband is unable to fulfill his mitzvah to be able to have children. There you have it. There's a critical component that is required in order for somebody to do a mitzvah. A man has a mitzvah to have children. It's impossible to have children without a woman. Therefore, she has a mitzvah as well. Part of the mitzvah. It's not an identical mitzvah. Part of the mitzvah. Not only that, we're going to use an example where the woman's participation in the man's mitzvah is not a critical component. And yet she'll get the value of it. She's just assisting him to be able to fulfill the mitzvah. Still nifzakla halacha. The halacha is still. Let's use the example. A woman is not required to study Torah as a man is. Nevertheless, if a woman assists her husband or her children in whichever way it is, her resources, her time, her encouragement, and they, they learn Torah because of her, so then what happens? She shares in their reward. And actually she gets a tremendous amount of reward because they are able to fulfill their mitzvah thanks to her. So there you have something which is not a critical component of the mitzvah, and yet the person gets brought in to the value of the mitzvah the other person is doing thanks to them. Because in this circumstance, why is the, the husband learning Torah? Why are the children learning Torah? Because of her assistance. 
Therefore, Afina Teres Chelek Beschar Mitzvah Talmud Torah, she now participates in the value and the reward from that value of Torah learning. All of these examples, including the key components to fulfill a mitzvah, even according to the very uh, incredible opinion of the Yerushalmi that you say a brocha over the building of a sukkah, you know, it's a preparation for a mitzvah, still, it's pretty clear in all of these cases that there's a straight line between that particular component and the mitzvah. Without building the sukkah, you won't have a sukkah. Without the person bringing the implements for the bris, there won't be a bris. So we understand very clearly that that's going to lend credibility and value to those preparatory moments or people or components because without them the mitzvah will never happen. But what is clear is they're not part of the mitzvah. The Torah did not say thou shalt bring a knife to a bris. The Torah doesn't say that it's positive mitzvah to have to put a lulav together. It's just practical because if you want to be able to have a mitzvah, a lulav, you're going to have to put it together. And therefore there's no chance that any of those preparatory components would be considered the mitzvah. And that's why that's why the bracha that the Yerushalmi proposes is to make the lulav which will be a mitzvah. You're not saying a bracha right now about doing the mitzvah with the lulav, you're saying the bracha over preparing a lulav. Even when the Ran describes this incredible insight that a woman fulfills a mitzvah by participating in, in reproduction, it says, a mitzvah. He doesn't say that the woman fulfills the mitzvah of reproduction as her husband does. So we're seeing a very nuanced concept over here where something which is a critical component of a mitzvah happening is in the glow of that mitzvah and gets some of the value of that mitzvah, but it is not the same as the mitzvah. We're going to take it up a notch and come back to our conversation, which is mitzvah Let's talk about education of children. Now, the, the role that the child plays in the father's mitzvah of education is different to the role that the pieces of a lulav play in making a lulav or the tools in the bris or even the woman in reproduction. Because it's not just a matter of, well, obviously, if a father doesn't have a child to educate, then it's impossible for the father to do the mitzvah of educating a child. Just like if you don't have a sukkah, you can't fulfill the mitzvah. It's more than that. In a gam, gam mitzvah kan, mitzvah. The concept of chinuch, and this is critical, we need to bear this in mind for the rest of the sicha. This is critical. The objective of the mitzvah of education is that the child will then reach a point where they will be educated enough to fulfill the mitzvah. So again, the purpose of the woman's participation in having children is so that the husband will fulfill his mitzvah of having children. The purpose of bringing the knife to the breast is so that there will be a breast. Nothing's going to happen to that knife. Something's going to happen to this child. The objective of education is that this child will now fulfill mitzvahs because of that education. So looking from the perspective of Tosus and Rambam, even they who hold that there is a component of chinuch that is the responsibility of a child, they'll acknowledge that initially the responsibility of chinuch is directed to the parent. 
אלא בפרקטיקלי, שכן שהמצווה זה אוהב היא, שעל ידי חינוך או יקיים הבנס המצווה. Seeing as the, the measure of whether or not the parent has educated their child will be the result that the child now observes mitzvahs. Then obviously part of the obligation is the child fulfilling these mitzvahs. That's why the Rambam and the Tosas and, and, and the Ran, they all say that the child now is obligated to some extent to fulfill the mitzvah. Why? Because that's what the education was all about, to bring the child to the point that he would fulfill the mitzvah. So therefore, already now, there's some degree of requirement to fulfill the mitzvah. Let's put it into different words because it might be a subtle concept. The obligation a father has is to teach his child how to live as a Jewish person, in other words, how to do mitzvahs. So even though the reality is, how do we get this child to do the mitzvah? Because the father has a responsibility to educate him. The fact is, when the child does the mitzvah, that's a complete action. The father's not doing the mitzvah, the child is doing the mitzvah. And why and how is the child doing the mitzvah? Because the father had been instructed to get the child to do the mitzvah. But the fact is the child's doing the mitzvah. For that reason, we could describe that child as being required to do the mitzvah. If he doesn't actually do the mitzvah, the father hasn't fulfilled his mitzvah of educating. And how comp- compelling is his mitzvah? The child's mitzvah is so compelling that he can even fulfill the obligation or include in his obligation an adult who has a rabbinic requirement to fulfill the same mitzvah. And we're even going to see how this applies in a, a, a mitzvah that is de'oraisa. What example are we going to look at? Very intriguing example. And you, you kind of got to hold copy a little bit. We all know that there's a mitzvah to be joyous on the three major Yom Tov's Pesach, Shavuos and Sukkot. That the nature of a woman's simcha on yontif is actually the responsibility of her husband to bring her joy. How does that happen? Rashi, Rashi explains. It's by bringing her beautiful clothing, etc. So the Toysavus asks a question based on the Gemara. The Gemara says as follows. How young is a child who, to be exempt from having to come up to the base and just three times a year? which is a mitzvah. So he explains, but the Gemara says, any person who's not old enough to hold his father's hand and walk from Yerushalayim to Har Habayis. So the Gemara there asked the question, so how did the child get to Yerushalayim? We're talking about the father now taking the child from Yerushalayim to Har Habayis. Who brought the child to Yerushalayim? Omeshana. And the Gemara answers, Well, because the mother is also obligated to celebrate Yantav, she's come along and she's brought her child to Yerushalayim. That, Toysavah says, that implies that a woman is not just going to have joy because her husband buys her clothes, but she has a responsibility to also go along to Yerushalayim and to participate in those special offerings that are brought as part of the Simch of Yom Tov. So Rabbeinu Tam explains, 
It is the husband's responsibility to bring her joy. Yes, she has to come along. Yes, she has to participate. But it's her husband's mitzvah to generate simcha for her. So even in the Gemara Chagiga that says that the woman is required to come up to Yerushalayim and therefore she brought her child, she's required because her husband has a mitzvah to give her joy, not because she has a personal requirement to come to Yerushalayim. So we can now understand that Toysavus' perspective is A woman does not have a personal obligation to celebrate Yontav by eating the meat of the carbonists that are brought as the Shalmei Simcha. So it's not her personal obligation and yet she's got to do it. Because her husband has a responsibility to bring her joy making her joyous is a mitzvah in other words if she's happy that's a mitzvah and that in turn helps her husband fulfill his mitzvah to bring her happiness it is such a a, a compelling mitzvah for her that Gemara will even use the expression she is required to be besimcha not like the run where he spoke about a woman's participation in reproduction as a generic mitzvah that she has. Here yeah, the Gemara is willing to say she has the responsibility of simcha, even though it's not her mitzvah. It's her being basimcha so that her husband will fulfill his mitzvah of giving her simcha. We're going to use that thinking and apply it back to the responsibility of a child to learn Torah. As the Tzemach Tzedek comments on the Rambam, Torah study is unlike any other mitzvah. When it comes to any other mitzvah, it is only a rabbinic requirement for a father to educate his child so his child knows the mitzvahs. But to teach your child Torah, that is a Torah requirement. Which would seem to imply that a child also carries some level of responsibility to the Torah to learn Torah. What does that mean? Because the father has a Torah obligation, to ensure that his child learns Torah, the child's Torah learning assumes some level of being an obligation. And that's why if the father did not educate his child, the Torah still leaves the child with a responsibility to learn Torah and he's going to have to do it at a later stage. So what we're seeing over here is this fascinating principle. If I have a mitzvah to do, and the only way I can do this mitzvah is if it causes you to do a particular action. Man, to make his wife joyous on, on Yom Tov. Father, to teach his child Torah. Then that person's participation in the mitzvah is not just a facilitation. Because you're happy, I've done my mitzvah. Because you're learning Torah, I've done my mitzvah. It becomes part of your obligation. In other words, <clears throat> it wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be chinuch. Let's use education. That's, that's what we're talking about. It wouldn't be chinuch. If the only reason the child's learning Torah is because the father's hovering over him and saying, you've got to do this. That's not chinuch. We need the child to actually be learning Torah, so to speak, independently. That means the child has to have some responsibility, some personal obligation to learn Torah. 
So now let's use that to go back to this very astonishing concept where the Rambam suggests that if a child <coughs> was included in the Chabura at, at Pesach and then became Bar Mitzvah before Pesach Sheni, does not have to bring the Pesach Sheni, what did the Rikurkos explain? Potter came to So the Rikurkos says, because the Torah included the child, that you're allowed, sell a base of us, that it's a, the whole concept of Pesach was it's a family affair. So you're allowed to include, to shech that animal with your child in mind. And include him on the guest list of the people who belong to this Chabura, to this group who eats the Kram Pesach. Says the Rikurkos, that's why he'd be exempt from the later Pesach. Based on what we've just explained about Chinuch and about Simchas HaRegel, will help us understand this too. And before we get there, one more piece of information. Let's see what the Rogachava says about this. The Rambam says, if you included the child in the Shechita of the Karben Pesach at the original Pesach, he's exempt from the second Pesach. Says the Rogachava. That exemption only works if the father included the child as one of the f- official members of the Chabura, of the group that eats the Karm Pesach, as I caught Potter Akot Minasheni, then the cotton would be exempt from the second Pesach. But if it's just the generic, because the mitzvah includes the whole family, so generically the child is eating as a member of the family, he wasn't specifically uh, <coughs> designated as a member of the Chabura. Even if you do want to argue that the requirement for the family to participate is mandated by the Torah, he would have to bring the Korban Pesach. If the reason a child is eating a Korban Pesach is because the Torah says it's a family meal, that means the Torah has allowed the child to eat this meal because the child is completely reliant on the father for food. And not only that, he's bottled. He doesn't even have his own identity yet. He's a child. He doesn't have an identity. Which means that the independent human being, this, this child, was not actually at the Korban Pesach. <laughs> Their independence only emerged after the Korban Pesach was over. And that independent person now has to bring a Korban Pesach. But if the father designated him as part of the group, then he's not eating from the Korban Pesach just because he's an appendage to his father, but because he's part of the group. He's a real person. Ah, so a real person ate from the Korban Pesach. Then he doesn't have to eat from the second Korban. Let's understand it better based on what we've explained previously. The concept that when I have a responsibility that can only be fulfilled if I get you to do your part of that responsibility. So the father educates his child. Now the child is learning Torah. Ah, the child's learning Torah. The father has done his mitzvah. Same principle here. The fact that the Torah allows the possibility that a minor could be part of the delegation that eats the Korban Pesach. That means to tell us that is the Torah will recognize that child as an independent human. Al Korban Pesach, who can participate in the Korban Pesach like the adults. Nimtza, that implies because the father has a mitzvah to educate his child and therefore to include his child in the Korban, 
He has done it in such a way that the child actually now becomes so-called obligated in the Korban. In fact, obligated enough that he doesn't have to bring a Pesach. If they included him in the original Korban Pesach as a delegate, he is exempt from Pesach Sheni. With all of this information, we can understand what the Rambam is telling us if you have a nine-year-old child who has an illicit relationship with this half-maidservant, she will get lashes, he will bring a carbon. Why? What is it that makes this woman, this half-maidservant, liable for lashes? An illicit relationship. If there was no illicit relationship, she wouldn't be getting lashes. So the only reason the lashes exist is because there's an illicit relationship, which must mean that there's another person. So that means that their interaction is the catalyst for her getting lashes. Well, if he is the cause of her getting lashes, like if the child is the cause of the father fulfilling his mitzvah of chinuch, like if the woman is the cause of the husband being able to give her shalmei simcha so she can be joyous on Yom Tov, if the woman is the cause of the fulfillment of the mitzvah of period verivia, even though that's not as extreme as this example, so he, this child, is the cause of her being in an illicit relationship. For Lachain, maybe carbon. His actions have weight, and therefore he has to atone for them. Bring a carbon. He needs that atonement. Ah, what about our question? Why in this case and no other illicit relationship? Why we distinguish the Shifra Harufa from any other illicit relationship? Where a child, even nine years old, would be exempt if they were involved in such a relationship? Yeshloima, we could say. It's because we do know that the Torah has clearly distinguished the illicit relationship with a Shifra Harufa from any other illicit relationship. Listen how the Rambam says it. It's so clear. He says, The illicit relationship with a half-maidservant is different to any other illicit relationship in the Torah. Why? Because look what happens. He has a relationship of two equal parties, but there's two different consequences. She gets lashes. As the Torah says, And he only has to bring a korban. And that implication is whether he is unintentional or intentional. In the case of a shivcha harufa, he brings an asham. Now, usually an asham is something we anticipate for inadvertent behavior. The way the Rambam has worded it implies the fact that here is a case of two participants in the same act and they get two different punishments implies that this is a unique case that is unlike any ordinary illicit relationship where obviously both parties would be punished equally. The Rambam explains this even further. Listen to this, you'll see such a clear distinction. Let's say that a person had an ongoing relationship with a Shifcha Harufa before it came to court and so they've had multiple illicit relations. Whether all of that was intentional or inadvertent Maybe Asham Echad. He, the, the protagonist, the boy, the man, only brings one carbon Asham. But she gets the amount of lashes 
relative to the amount of times they had relations. Like any other love. Where if a person put, put, uh, does the same act again and again and again, they'll get multiple lashes. Which tells me it's not just the fact that they're two different kinds of punishment. It means that for her, it's a transgression for which there's lashes. For him, it's not even considered a, trans- a transgression per se. I mean, it needs atonement, but it's not a punishable, so we say, transgression. That's actually what the Magid Mishnah meant when he said, that the Rambam believes that everything is dependent in this case on the woman. The Gemara says like this, when the woman gets lashes, then if she gets lashes, the man involved would have to bring a carbon Hashem. If she's exempt from lashes, he's exempt from the carbon. How do you know this? The Pasuk says clearly, and a man who will have an illicit relationship with a woman, and she is this strange maidservant who's already been designated for another man. She has to be completely, completely freed. <coughs> so <coughs> Rava says the Pasuk is talking about the man's role the man's role surely when you discuss the man's role finish the sentence by saying he, the man <coughs> has to bring his carbon and then talk about what we do with her says Rava so why does the Torah first present the story the man acted in a particular way then says we investigate the woman and punish her and then tell us about the carbon for the man says the what the Torah is telling us is so there you have it the Torah wants us to know that if we are able to find that she is guilty then he brings a carbon if not not the Rambam then takes this Gemara to another level and says, The Torah is not just helping us to understand how you know how to judge this case. And it came time for Sibbas explaining why you judge the case in a particular way. The requirement for him to bring his carbon ashram and thereby to atone is because he was the catalyst to make her in a position for which she deserves Malkus. Because he is the catalyst, he cannot be exempt, and therefore, it applies equally to a child as well. In any other illicit relationship, if a man and a woman, God forbid, commit adultery incest, he and she independently are completely liable for the fact that they did something wrong. And therefore, if one of the participants is underage, well, they cannot be liable. Not only are they not liable for punishment, they're not liable for atonement. And there's no reason why the child should now be dragged into the misbehavior of the other party. Because... Each participant in an illicit relationship is wholly responsible for themselves. But when you're talking about this unique maidservant story, so now everything depends on her. 
חייבו אשם על האיש אין אלה מפני שהמעשה שלו היא הוסיפה לחייבו אישה. The only reason a man who has an illicit relationship with a shifcha harufa should bring a carbon is not because he fundamentally has done a sin, but rather because he has caused a situation for which she should be punished. Well then it doesn't matter what age he is. If he is considered the catalyst and therefore carries some of the responsibility, that's no longer a chi, of course, he did wrong. It's part of her doing wrong for which he has to take some responsibility. Very similar to what we said before. Because the father is responsible to educate the child and there's no way to educate a child without the child becoming educated. There's some responsibility on the child to actually become educated. There's no way for her to be punished unless he participates. Therefore, there's some obligation for him having participated. Because the Torah does acknowledge that a child's actions have weight, in this case, so much weight as to cause her to deserve lashes, therefore he carries the responsibility to bring a carbon. This all gives us a very important insight into the importance of education of a especially education to actually learn Torah. The concept of education is particularly relevant at this time of the year between Pesach, the time of liberation. Shavuot is the time of receiving the Torah. is what connects these two special times in our lives. As we've already seen, Pesach is a festival that illustrates to us the power of a child's chinuch and how, how important it is. First of all, as we've already learned, one of the key mitzvahs of Pesach, which is the Korban Pesach, we have seen that the Torah models in such a way that the child is drawn into the, the, the chiyuv and is considered responsible for Korban Pesach. But besides that, in our Seder Shal Pesach, Hagoda the book which is the centerpiece of the whole celebration of Pesach, the Hagoda, Meyusad Alva Koshim Vihigad Levincha, is all built on the concept of teaching children. Besides the fact that the Navi Yecheskel compares the Exodus from Egypt to the birth of a child. And as soon as a child is born, the responsibility for education begins. And on the opposite extreme, when it comes to Shavuos, the time of the Torah, which is the beginning of Hashem as a father to us, his children teaching us. So that's our Chinuch, is Shavuos. We, the Jewish people, are considered Hashem's children. This time of Chinuch, starting with Pesach, which is all about educating our children, about our history, and coming to Shavuos, which is about Hashem, our father, educating us as his children, that talks to us as parents. Even though you could say that the requirement for a parent to teach a child how to do mitzvahs is a rabbinic requirement. Everybody agrees that when it comes to teaching a child to learn Torah, that is a biblical obligation. In fact, we know that why did Hashem give us the Torah? Because of 
חינוך because of education. דafka על ידי זה שבנינו אוהבים מאיסון היסקים הקדוש ברוך הוא לא סיסא סתירות. דafka when we said our children our future would be our guarantees and others would educate our children that was the catalyst for Hashem to give us the Torah. And therefore there's an important lesson. אשר דafka על ידי חינוך הקדוש ממיצוס ונאס ומציוס בפנים עצמו ויש לשחקים מישלוי על מיצוץ קנה. Teach a child a mitzvah, teach them to do a mitzvah, they become a metzius, they become an entity, they become a being that now carries a personal connection to the mitzvah. To the extent that the child is actually considered to be responsible for the mitzvah. If that's true of mitzvahs, it's much more so when it comes to Torah learning. When you learn Torah with a child. Which is not only a mitzvah for your child. But it's a mitzvah for every sage to teach every child. As we well know, actually extends to students as well. You teach somebody, you transform them into a new being, a new entity. You take an independent individual who's completely self-absorbed and you now give them access to the Torah and to the one who gave the Torah. Such an extreme investment in this person that the Torah says, you teach somebody, it's as if you've given birth to them. Therefore, you can understand the tremendous responsibility we all have. How much we have to commit ourselves to educating children, to learn Torah, to do mitzvahs. Especially now, this time of the year. Everybody's preparing for the summer vacation. We have to take responsibility for every Jewish child. That they should be in an environment that is immersed in Torah and, and Yerush HaMayim through the, through the summer. All 24 hours a day during the summer. And that will directly lead to increased education of our children throughout the entire year. And Mr. Shem, tremendous nachas from them. And we should be uh, zoichet through that to see Avinu Shabbat Shamayim look after his children and bring us Mashiach now.